Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and the Moon podcast. As always, I am your host, David, and this week I'm excited because we're going to be talking about astrology. Um, Quick disclaimer, I'm going to be discussing Western or tropical astrology here. Um, Not to say that there are not many other kinds of astrology that are all valuable and just as valid, but Western astrology is the one that I'm the most familiar with. And really the only one I would feel comfortable um, discussing at length. So for that reason, I'm going to stay within um, kind of this category. So I did briefly talk about some of the things um, in regard to astrological signs in our episode on the elements. But I've never really discussed astrology specifically. So let's go ahead and get into it. So... um, Western astrology, or topical astrology, refers to the form of astrology that's most commonly used in Western nations. So this is going to be um, North, South America, um, Australia, New Zealand area, most of Europe. Um, There are other forms of astrology in China, Japan, the Middle East, many other forms than I even know about. Um, But this is just to say this is the form that I am sticking to today. So a core principle of astrology is the integration of the cosmos. And what that means is that the movement of the stars and constellations and planets as it relates to us is a reflection of what's going on here on the earth. The movement of the celestial bodies don't create the events themselves. They just give us an insight into what's already happening. So there are 12 astrological signs, 12 houses, and 11 planets. And we'll discuss what that means more specifically as we go on. Um, And as I say with anything on this show, the thoughts and opinions I'm sharing are only my own. As with anything, I encourage everyone to go research and read and discover what their own conclusions and opinions are. So let's get into the signs. There are 12 signs, and they are Aries, the Ram, Taurus, the Bull, Gemini, the Twins, Cancer, the crab, Leo, the lion, Virgo, the maiden, Libra, the scales, Scorpio, the scorpion, Sagittarius, the archer, Capricorn, the goat, Aquarius, the water carrier, and Pisces, the fish. So these 12 signs are divided into four groups of three, which are grouped according to the four classical elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And because I did mention their elemental associations in a previous episode about the elements, I'm not going to get too much into that, but I will do a brief kind of recap of the signs as they relate to the elements. So the earth signs are Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn, and earth signs are generally considered to be practical, reliable, and sensual. Taurus is a builder and strategist, Virgo is practical and meticulous, and Capricorn is materialistic and cautious. Earth signs are grounded in reality and are very much attached to what they can physically touch and observe. They're typically skilled at building and managing resources, and they enjoy working hard and seeing obvious, tangible results from their efforts. Boundaries and a sense of structure can help earth signs feel safe and in control. Earth signs alongside water signs are considered to exemplify a feminine or receptive energy. So next is the air signs, and they are Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. 
the air signs are intellectual, detached, and fair-minded. They're often humanitarian, social, communicative, intellectual. Gemini is usually considered to be the most adaptable of the air signs, and they take on the more mental approach to life. They're good at sorting and redistributing different ideas. Libra is more action-oriented and is great at comparing, weighing, and valuing ideas. And then Aquarius is the most resolute of this group and is skilled at intuitively understanding the common values of different ideas that seem different at first glance, but really are similar. And air signs and fire signs are usually considered to have masculine or projective energies. The fire signs are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. Fire signs are spontaneous, reactive, and assertive. And unlike the opposite element, water, Fire signs are not very reflective and they prefer to look outward rather than inward. Fire is impulsive, courageous, passionate, and creative. And fire is difficult to contain. And this is translated differently into each of the three signs in this group. So Aries prefers to focus on the present and the future and they rarely give much thought to the past. Due to the focus on matters at hand as well as things to come, Aries is excellent at innovation and they're often very brave and enthusiastic. Leo is excellent at leadership because they're vision-oriented, passionate, and loyal. They tend to make better delegators and workers, though, because their big-picture type of thinking can sometimes create um, a struggle with following through when they're told to complete a task. Sagittarius, which is the last fire sign, is the more emotional of the group. It finds itself more concerned with things of the mind and the spirit, and it's more... Um, spiritually, philosophically minded than Aries and Leo. And as I said a moment ago, fire signs and air signs usually have a masculine or projective energy. So lastly, we have the water signs, which are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. Water signs are fluid, emotional, and intuitive. Water signs rely more on emotion and feeling rather than logic and thinking. They are nurturing, protective, empathetic, and understanding. Cancer is the most emotional of the water signs, often feeling drawn towards matter of the home and the family. And for that reason, Cancer is said to be the most nurturing. Scorpio is the most intuitive and reflective sign, is naturally gifted to understanding deep desires, motivations, intimate connections. And for that reason, Scorpio is considered to be the least understood of the water signs and of all of the signs in general. Pisces is the most understanding of the group, and it's talented at being naturally compassionate and empathetic. Pisces is often the most spiritually minded of the water signs, and water, like the earth signs, are said to have a feminine and receptive energy. So we've gone through the signs and their elemental associations, so now let's talk about houses. So if the signs are kind of a blueprint of a personality type, the signs are influenced by what planet occupies them. And the planets are kind of an energy that influences how something's going to be expressed. But the houses, they're not certain characteristics like the signs, and they're also not energies like the planets. The houses are just the areas of life in which these things are most likely to manifest. So let's go through the houses. So there are 12 houses. So the first house is the self. It is who we are and how we conceptualize ourselves. It is always your rising sign. No matter what's in your chart, your first house is always your rising sign. It's who you are, 
um, your personality. Some people say this is even more accurate of your personality than your sun sign is. Um, and some people even say that it can speak to your physical appearance. If your first house is empty, um, you might be more likely to have a passive personality rather than being more um, assertive. The second house has to do with values. So it's the things that you find important ideologically, as well as material things that you own or would like to own. And because of that, it's obviously gonna influence how you spend money. Um, the second house, um, if it's empty, you might find that you don't really care a whole lot about financial or material things. Doesn't mean that you're bad with money either. It just means that you're not someone who prioritizes um, material things and money. The third house has to do with communication. So this is gonna speak to your early childhood, how you perceive your environment, how you interact with other people. Um, this is gonna speak to your sibling relationships, especially um, the older sibling, if you have an older sibling. And this is gonna to have to do with the conscious active mind and short trips. And what I mean by short trips is just like your quick little getaway, how you take breaks, how you kind of take a pause. Okay, so the fourth house is um, domestic life, has to do with the home, caretaking, and familial relationships. It has to do with motherhood. So this could be your own actual mother, or it could just be the, the more nurturing parent. So um, whoever that is, if, that's, if your dad's more nurturing, it's your father. If you have same-sex parents, then it still applies to you. It just is whatever parent is more caretaking and nurturing. Um, the fourth house also has to do with emotional security and just things of the home and family in general. So the fifth house has to do with your work life. So uh, your job, your career goals, things like that. And then traditionally it's been associated with fatherhood, but then this is just the more protective demonstrative parent, whoever that is, it doesn't have to be your father. It could be your mother, or it could be, again, if you have same sex parents still applies just whoever fills that role. And um, another thing I wanna point out, so when I say like the father figure, the mother figure, even if you didn't have a father or a mother active in your life, then their absence in your life is still gonna influence that. So whether it was by their presence or their absence, this is still gonna influence your chart to some degree. Um, this has to do with the, the parts of your personality that would be traditionally considered masculine. This is gonna influence your relationship with your children, if you have any, or anything that you really feel responsible for. So if you have literal children, that would be that. This could also be pets you take care of, or if you're a caretaker, perhaps you're a parent or a grandparent, this would include them as well. Um, and the fifth house also speaks to fun and games. The sixth house um, is your daily routine. It's your relationship with your own body and your physical health, and it's your service. It's the way that you go about being helpful to other people. It's the, the way that you provide for others. The seventh house has to do with relationships. So this could be romantic relationships. So um, dating, marriage, getting engaged. Um, this is has to do with sexuality as it relates to intimate relationships and your external sexual drive that you would share with a partner. And it also speaks to friendships. So the forming of meaningful bonds that are not necessarily romantic. Um, it speaks to partnerships. So this includes business partnerships, friendships, and your kind of just relationship generally to the public. So on your chart, 
the seventh house is directly opposite from the first house. So your first house is yourself and seventh house is interacting with others. The eighth house is transformation. So this has to do with transitions. So how do you go about ending situations? So breaking up with someone, getting divorced, ending friendships, leaving a job, moving, um, death. This could be a literal physical death of the body, but it could also be like a figurative death of maybe just a phase of your life. Um, the eighth house is said to be the most powerful house in the chart. This is how you keep secrets and keep private information. This is what I call your all or nothings. So what are, these are the things in your life that you're all or nothing about. You love it or hate it. You're all in or you're all out. This is about power and control. Um, if you were in a situation where you um, share joint finances with someone, this house is going to speak to how you manage other people's money. It's not just yours. It's about spirituality. So this is how you perceive religion, uh, philosophy, and the unknown. It's about mystery and the things that you keep hidden, as well as the things that you seek to understand. And this is also birth. So the beginning of new things, how you start a new job, etc. So the ninth house. The ninth house is about learning. It's about education. It's how you learn in environments like school and work, as well as just how you learn in general. It's about critical thinking. And the ninth house also has a little bit to do with spirituality, but this is more so how you apply logic and critical thinking to spiritual ideas. Um, these are your principles, your morals, your belief system, your philosophies of life. And this is kind of how you, how you stand back and see the big picture is your ninth house. And if you remember when we talked about the third house and how it was about short trips, the ninth house is about long trips. This is like, where do you want to move? What is your life plan? Um, if you're going to go on like a really long trip, if you're going to take, if you're going to take like a gap year from school, if you're going to take like a really long sabbatical, that's what the ninth house is speaking to as well. So the tenth house, um, it's like your reputation. So it's the ways that you're likely to build up other people's perception of you, especially in like professional settings. It's your public image, your career, and this could also be about your relationship to your father. And again, this traditionally has been said to be the father, but really it's just the more outer world, practical parent, whoever that is for you. And again, maybe you didn't have that role in your life. And then the absence of that figure would also be influenced by the 10th house. The 11th house is the, it's like your social life. So it's how you engage in your friendships, how you meet new people. Um, it's the goals that you have for yourself socially. So maybe you have too many friends and you're spread too thin. Maybe you want more friends, you want to be more social. And it's just kind of like your tendency of how you interact with large groups. Group activities, um, humanitarianism, this is how you donate to charitable causes. It's your hopes and dreams. And this is also about childcare, but specifically other people's children. So your own children is going to be your fifth house. But as you relate to other people's children, it's going to be your 11th house. So the last one is the 12th house. And this is like your inner world. This is how uh, your unconscious mind works. It's your psyche. It's how you project the subconscious onto the world around you. Um, this is your mental health and your emotional well-being. This could have to do with um, generational trauma and healing. And 
this is also a little bit about religion, but it's less about the external process of like seeking out a religion. And it's more about how you internalize a spiritual concept. Um, so this is anything in your life that's like the unknown, the behind the scenes, that kind of stuff. So we've gone through all of the houses and kind of explained briefly what they meant. And of course, the way that this influences your chart is going to depend on what placements or lack of placements you have in a specific house. So without knowing someone's chart, it's hard for me to say like, oh, this means this and this and this. This is just a vague kind of outline of what the chart means. It's gonna depend specifically on what your placements actually are. So let's talk about stelliums. So a stellium is when in one house, a person has three or more planets in one sign creating a dominant portion of the personality. So for example, um, say that your sun sign is a Sagittarius, but whenever you read about Sagittarius, you just don't really relate to it that much. You're like, I don't really feel like that. I don't behave that way. Um, this isn't really something that I relate to, but then you get your full chart and you realize that you have um, three Capricorn placements. That would mean you have a stellium and Capricorn, and that would be a greater aspect of your personality than Sagittarius would. So maybe you would relate more to readings on Capricorn than Sagittarius, but that's just one example. So we've gone through the houses and we've explained stelliums. So if the planets are archetypal energies that speak to different parts of life, then the way these energies take shape for an individual is going to be determined by what sign the planets are in in those houses. So let's talk about the planets. So um, not all of these are actual planets. <laughs> They're just kind of celestial bodies in general, but some of them are planets. Um, but this was understood by ancient astrologers to be planets in the sky, even though that wouldn't be astronomically correct today. So these are planets in a metaphorical sense. Okay, so first is the sun. Um, the sun sign is probably the sign that you're most likely to be familiar with. So usually if someone's like, I'm a Scorpio, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm a Libra, they're usually talking about their sun sign. Um, this is also like if you just ask someone what's your sign, this is probably the sign they're going to tell you. The sun determines your ego and your identity and kind of your general role in life. And it's determined by the position of the sun at your birth. It represents your sense of self and it's seen in your life balance, your instincts, and your drive. Um, it's your ego, your creative force, your generalized personality. And some people say it represents your response to um, a fatherly figure or the lack of a fatherly figure. So next is the moon. The moon rules your emotions, moods, and feelings. And this is the sign you might think is being more accurate of who you are because the moon sign reflects your personality when you were alone or very deeply comfortable. So the moon sign is determined by the position of the moon based on your time and location of birth. It represents your inner emotional world and how you take care of yourself. And you're gonna see it in your private thoughts, your vulnerable moments, and kind of how you react to things. So next we have the ascendant sign, which is also called the rising sign. Again, this is always gonna be in your first house. And the rising sign is kind of the mask that you present to people. Um, it may not be super accurate of how you feel you are internally, but this is how you're going to come across people that have just met you. Um, it's going to be seen in your style and the way that you make first impressions. And it's determined by what constellation was on the horizon in relation to your time, date, and location of birth. 
it's going to represent your general perspective and decision making. And it's that initial reaction people are going to have to you. So the sun, moon, and ascendant or rising signs, those are what's called the big three. Um, so after that, the other planetary positions are all determined by where they were in the constellations when you were born. So let's talk about Mercury. So Mercury, um, this planet determines how you communicate, speak, think, and process information. It also determines how you learn. This is the mind's planet. It represents your mind and your speech, and it's seen in how you communicate, how you interpret and exchange information, and how you solve problems. Next is Venus. Venus determines how you love and what you love, and it indicates how you express affection and what qualities you were attracted to. It represents how you express love, what you value and what you desire, and it's seen in your romantic attachments, your idealized version of love and what you spend money on. So for those of us that are in relationships, it's good to understand your partner's Venus sign because this is gonna give you some insight into what you need to make them feel loved and appreciated. Next is Mars. Mars is the planet of aggression. It determines how you assert yourself, how you take action, and the energy that surrounds you, especially in your sex life, your ambitiousness, and your um, expressions of anger, the way you get mad. So Mars represents your sense of motivation and your natural drive, as well as your determination and passions. And it's gonna show up in the way that you take charge and assert yourself, um, how you think of leadership and also your sex drive. Next is Jupiter. Jupiter is the first of the two social planets alongside Saturn. And Jupiter rules idealism, optimism, and expansion. It represents how you expand and how you gain experience and knowledge, as well as your view of optimism and your weaknesses. So this is going to show up in your wild side. This is how you take chances, how you engage with new opportunities, and also your sense of humor. So the second social planet is Saturn. And Saturn rules your sense of responsibility, fear, self-control, and the boundaries you set. Saturn represents your sense of discipline, self-control, and how you view authority. And that it's seen in your routine, your goals, your self-control, and the limits that you set. Next is Uranus. Uranus stays in one sign for about seven years. So that means this really speaks to more um, of a generation than just one individual person. But Uranus rules your sense of innovation, rebellion, and progress. So it represents how you rebel against the status quo and older expectations, how you innovate, and it's going to show up in your righteous anger and your ideas for a better, uh, a better world. It's like, what do you get mad at? Um, what do you see as being unjust or unfair? And what do you want to do to fix it? All of this has to do with Uranus. Next is Neptune. So Neptune stays in the sign for about 14 years, meaning it also rules a generation more than a person. And Neptune speaks to how you dream, imagine, and how you are affected by your unconscious mind. So Neptune represents your fantasies and your imagination. Um, so what do you want for yourself? What do you find yourself thinking about or daydreaming of? And it's seen also in your religion and your spirituality. So how do you conceptualize just the mysterious, unknown, higher things that we don't really understand yet. All of this has to do with Neptune. So the last planet is Pluto. And Pluto stays in the sign for about 30-ish years. And this, again, 
speaks more so to a generation rather than one specific person. And Pluto is about your sense of power, obsession, and control. So it represents your sense of transformation and how you view power dynamics. So it's your cycles of change and death and rebirth. And it's also seen in the way that you surrender um, your sense of control and the way you let go of the past. So this is going to be the part of your personality in situations where you're like, okay, I can't do anything about the situation. I can't change it. I'm just going to go with the flow and let it happen. Um, it's about forgiveness to an extent as well, because a big part of letting go of the past is often forgiving people that we have been hurt by. And it might also be, you know, seeking people out to make amends. Maybe you've hurt people in the past and you need to own up to those choices and apologize and move on. All of this part of your personality is going to be in Pluto. This is a pretty brief overview of astrology. It's going to get much more specific and in-depth than this. Um, and obviously your specific birth chart is going to influence the specific aspects of all of these things. So if some of this was maybe a little bit vague or generic, that's just because there's only so much depth we can really get into without knowing the specifics of someone's chart. So I would encourage those who are interested to go find their birth chart. There are several resources online that are free that you can plug in your information and get your birth chart from. So um, there's a lot of stuff online for this stuff. Um, a great resource is Cafe Astrology, um, totally free. It's online. You can just plug in your information and it will give you your full chart, um, all your placements, all your houses, all that stuff. There's also some free apps from the app store. One of them is called uh, Sanctuary. And then of course, like CoStar is good as well. Um, I will say you have to have your time of birth, of course, date of birth and your location of birth. So it's not enough just to know your birthday. You actually have to know where you were born and the exact time that you were born. So for those of us that either don't know or don't have access to that information, um, you can still get a reading and get some information, but it's not going to be the full complete chart that you would have with the full date, time, and location. Um, if you don't know, uh, maybe ask your parents. If you have access to your birth certificate, I would go find that out, and it will show you all of that stuff. And people use astrology differently. Um, some people use it as more of like a divination thing. Some people incorporate you know, the celestial bodies into like their witchcraft. Um, I don't really do that a whole lot myself. I kind of use astrology as more of a psychological tool because it's essentially a snapshot of all of the celestial bodies at the exact moment of your birth. Um, so I don't really project a whole lot of like mysticism onto it. I just kind of use it as um, an intuitive tool to understand myself and how I relate to other people more. But however you choose to use it, However you find it helpful to you, I hope this episode has been a good way to introduce you to some ideas maybe you hadn't heard about before and to give you some resources to go deeper into these concepts and to learn some more. So that's all I have for you guys this week. I hope that you enjoyed it and I will see you all next Monday.